Hi, I'm Christos Gage, writer of Superior Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and Spider Island, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider-Talk My name is Dan Gavazdan And I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and I'm Mark Chinacchio, coming at you, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and editor at Superior Spider Talk. Mark, you've been away for a week. Did you enjoy the conversation from last week with Mark Guggenheim? Yeah, Dan. I, I mean, I'm glad that we were able to get a little more insight into the sausage making that is the brand new day experience. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so thanks again to Mark for coming on the show. And uh, thank you all for joining us for the 14th episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 4, Number 14 by Dan Slop, Christos Gage, and Giuseppe Comancoli. Then we'll respond to your comments and emails, discuss some spider news that's fit to print, and uh, as one last added feature, we're going to have another audition for Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. Mark, how many people are we auditioning for this thing? Uh, I think we got a few more candidates left, Dan. But you know, don't don't rush through it. I mean, I'm I'm searching far and wide, getting this this very esteemed grouping together. So don't ruin my 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 mojo, okay? How many D-list characters can fit in one green room? That's that's the question to ask. I don't know, and we haven't even tapped into like the John Byrne Howard, Howard Mackey run yet. So <laughs> those might be F-list characters. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if I'll go that far. We'll see. <laughs> I don't even know if people would recognize those characters if they're even able to recognize the characters we're doing now. I was just saying because Lonesome Pincus is very recognizable. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, Mark, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that you and I didn't love the previous issue of this book, and. Uh, so I guess I'm interested to see what you think of this more Regic-centric issue of the title. So let's talk some Amazing Spider-Man number 14. Well, Dan, thanks for that almost normal transition into this section. I don't know. like, I, did, did I okay? smoothly transition us into Funky Land? 
Uh, yes, yes, much much smoother than funk than Funky Land. Um, so uh, yeah, we we weren't such fans of the last issue, and um, you know, I I did see some improvements in this one, but you know, there's a very central premise to this comic book, this specific issue, um, that I think is kind of either is a deal breaker for for some in terms of how Regent is presented um, as this very powerful being that takes a tremendous amount of suspension and disbelief uh, to kind of just buy into this concept that he's dominating not just Spider-Man and Iron Man, but the Avengers and, you know, the way it's set up pretty much anybody who he thinks gets in his way. Um, and for that reason alone, or not, not, not just that reason alone, but for that reason primarily, this comic really didn't work for me. Um, and you could just kind of cast my opinion as that, um, I'll talk more specifically, but, but, you know, Dan, if you, if you, I I got a sense from your review, you feel a little bit differently or a little more lenient to me. You kind of went with it a little bit more. So what about it worked for you? Yeah. Well, you know, in the outside of my review, I think I had to kind of like address the curve here is that. I said, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a Spider-Man issue, and despite you and I being negative for quite a while about this series, we still look for the best in these issues, and I'm I'm willing to like go with it to a certain extent more than I would like a normal comic or any other comic, um, and so in that spirit, I want to embrace what Dan Slott is doing, making this big, action-packed comic, and so. I'm allowing myself to buy into the Regent thing. Now, I, do, I, I think I agree with you. There's a point where it kind of crosses a line where I'm like, okay, like if you're going to do this, you better have like a real good payoff. And that is when Regent captures what seems to be every hero in the Marvel Universe, uh, putting him on level with like, I mean uh, – like a Thanos, Thanos. Doctor Doom, Galactus. I mean, you know, this this, uh, you know, like the point the point that strained, you know, credulity for me was Thor, because it's like I'm sorry, unless you're a freaking cosmic god, Thor is going to kick your butt, even the even female Thor. And I'm not saying that to be derogatory, because you know. I don't think there's any difference between Thor now and Thor then. But I'm just saying, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a fanboy who throws that in my face, I still don't think Regent can beat Thor. <laughs> <laughs> who who I mean? fights or who wins in a fight, Mark? The Hulk or the Thing? Oh God, the Hulk. <laughs> well, at least at least Regent didn't beat the Hulk here. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the saving grace. I mean, first of all, I mean, let's let's also talk another thing even beyond the believability of regents powers here i mean this is almost note for note a repeat of what we got in renew your vows with this character like i mean did 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 dan slot just recycle the script in terms of him conquering the avengers the way he did yeah no i mean it's yeah right it is exactly the same i'm i'm waiting for there to be like an underground movement now that Gets things going, and if the ne- cover to the issue, the next issue, Amazing Spider-Man 15, is to be believed, you know, it seems as though Mary Jane is going to be suiting up in armor to take down the Regent, and 
Isn't that exactly what we got in issue four and five of Renew Your Vows? I mean, like, if Annie pops up here, I'm going to be like, all right, like, that's where I draw the line. I was going to say, you know, gird your loins, Dan. It's time for another uh, Dan Slop uh, uh, trait, you know, having uh, non-powered characters bail out our hero. (laughs) This whole thing is just crazy land banana pants, if you ask me. Crazy land, banana pants. That's my catchphrase. Don't be stealing it. It's been that way for years now. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's a repeat of Renew Your Vows sans the, the emotional beats of Peter's family being in, in disarray, which, I mean, quite frankly, it was the element of Renew Your Vows that I think made it compelling and interesting. Um, you know, not not for nothing, you know, I know we had Brian on last Brian Jacobs on last episode to talk about Miles and he's kind of the Miles expert, but you know, I still don't really buy in the new Marvel status quo that Miles is like Peter's little sidekick and pet project. So like having most of this conflict come out of this need to find Miles, you know, the, the emotional stakes for me are not as high as Peter's family wife and child because like i just don't feel the emotional connection there does that make sense yeah it makes it makes absolute sense um that being said you know uh, buying into regent's powers and and all of these things i do think that there are some genuinely solid scenes in this comic and and of particular note is a scene involving harry confronting uh the regent's uh you know alternate persona uh, about, you know, his, I guess, uh, dalliances into superherodom. Uh, I thought that this scene was really quite thrilling. Um, you know, if you buy into the fact that Regin is like this all powerful kind of demigodish character, um, even if like, uh, we find out that really he's just kidnapping these people, there is some genuine threat to these characters. And I just like, how that to it's a prolonged dialogue scene with some real tension. Yeah, oh absolutely. No, it's it's a well-crafted scene and and you know, once again, I I do feel that for the most part Harry Lyman has has been one of the most consistently written characters of of the, this fourth volume. I mean, in a lot of ways I kind of want to read a storyline that really focuses on Harry because I like what Dan Slott has been doing with the character. Um, you know, but then on the flip side of it is this, is this kind of frustrating notion that, you know, Regent is this character that is, is taking the the powers from the heroes because, you know, he was wronged by a superhero showdown, but now he's like also using those powers to, you know, obstruct the little people so to speak that get in his way with harry and betty brant and you're just kind of like yeah yeah i get it he's a hypocrite (laughs) but it's like i don't know like it's 2016 can we can we not have such like cartoonish villains in this in in these books right now you know what i mean can we have something with a little more heft to it a little more nuance well, you know, he, he kidnapped Betty and put her in one of his power siphoning tanks. And I was wondering if maybe he stole Betty's power of manipulation and deceit from her. <laughs> what superpower does Betty have other than breaking men's hearts? 
Uh, oh, poor Betty Brandt. Uh, he he he's gonna he's gonna put her in the tank and retcon that Ned Leeds was not the Hobgoblin. So when this storyline is over, Ned Leeds will be the Hobgoblin again and still be dead. Thanks well, to <laughs> well, you know, going back to that Harry scene, one of the things I liked about it is that you know, like uh, Harry seems to be on the up and up ever since he's kind of like rejoin the cast here you know he's a part of you know parker industries and you know not even just a part like a big he has a prominent role there um and you know he seems to kind of be up operating behind peter's back regarding his like supporting cast but when he first approaches regent you get this flashback to him saying to betty that he really wants uh, you know an autograph from regent and so i think they're trying to kind of get you to think that Harry is not going to like you know go against Regent, he's going to like join up with him to kind of take down Parker Industries or at least swap you know insider information. And I really liked that about uh, moment in this issue because it had me convinced for a second. I was like, oh man, like I really don't want Peter to revert back to his Goblin days. And we got that nice reference to ASM one twenty one. In the visuals, and then Harry just like a page later completely flips the script and, and counters the audience's perception uh, of this. And I, I thought that that was just a really fun moment uh, in this comic, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm looking for fun things, but I, I thought that was a really clever way to kind of play off of the fact that we don't really know everything about Harry at this moment. Yeah, no, there's, def- there's definitely still. I don't want to say some suspicion with the character, but you know, you, you, you don't know which turn he can take. Um, you know, I, I, I also do like, and this came out in the Harry scene as well, this idea of, of redemption that's kind of been very present in this fourth volume of, you know, of, of Spider-Man. Um, you know, I don't know if all these other characters are being redeemed to Peter's, I don't want to say detriment, but like it seems like where he's kind of at times losing some elements of his core um, ethics and morality where these other characters are kind of turning over new leaves, whether it be Harry or or um, Clayton Cole or, 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 you know, or so. I mean, what did you think about the whole redemption idea? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's an interesting theme to play against Regent's. Uh, I guess his own ideas about the world in which uh, redemption isn't even a possibility. It's he just wants to capture everybody and like do better than them. Uh, so yeah, I mean at least there's like an ongoing theme that seems central to this volume. Uh, whether it's Dan Slott kind of like beating it over the head by like literally spelling it out, like at least there's something kind of consistent to this and and I guess consistent to Parker's Parker Industries ethos. Um so I yeah I like that too. Um now but what about the actual Spider-Man stuff in this book? I mean we we had more of like the kind of Spider-Man Iron Man odd coupling thing. Um what did you think about like the secret identity stuff in this comic? Like you know, I, I I hate to be so glib, but it's like, you know, there was this emphasis. It was like that little exchange between Peter and MJ where it's like, you know, I'm not going to out anybody's identity. And it's like, wouldn't it just be convenient at this point for 
Peter to become clean to Tony. And it's not like not there aren't already a ton of people that are allies of Peter's that don't know his double identity. So it's just kind of, I don't know, like this is like one of those things like, oh, we're going to we're going to hold on to this storyline trope because it's convenient here. Whereas, you know, where it's not convenient, we'll 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 sweep it under the rug. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like I find it uh, more annoying in that like we had a joke about this, the issue prior, and it seems to be that we're just repeating the same story beats and making the same joke about Iron Man's scrambled memories, you know, per Dark Reign and all the other Axis and and all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, it would seem prudent for Peter to tell Tony – that he's Spider-Man, although, I mean, no prizing this, you could say something like, after the events of Civil War One, Peter is a little less uh, willing to trust Tony regarding elements of secret identities. If, yeah. I, if I were trying to get a no prize, that's what I would say. Uh, it doesn't make no, I, I mean- sense, but... Yeah, I mean, I and, and I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like I'm advocating for Peter to start just being willy nilly with his identity again. But it's like it's it's. I I I think I would be less inclined to just 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 be like just tell him if he wasn't telling so many other characters. You know, like yeah. I mean, freaking Bobby Morse knows his identity. I mean, why does Mockingbird know who Spider Man is? You know, like like that's just silly. Um, speaking it's like of an, which, an adventure, a, a, a meeting of the Avengers is like, hey, everybody knows Spider-Man's identity except for this one dude. Yeah, yeah, and I guess Kamala Khan doesn't know. But she, or does she? Like she seems to know at the beginning of this issue. You're right. Who knows? Who knows? You're I right. Know. Um, yeah. So that's it's just a thing of frustration, and like you said, we're, we're getting the same joke, and then of course we get. You know, uh, uh, an ew, Aunt May romance joke courtesy of Jarvis. But then we get a really interesting thing with Aunt May, Dan. And uh, why, don't you, why don't you walk us through that scene? Well, we have Aunt May. She's, like, being called away by her husband, and which is I still find weird to say. Like, something about that just hasn't sunk in yet, that she's mar- right. married. Um, it's only been 150 uh, issues. Yeah, but, yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, she, and she like is, is late, uh, or she's, she's coming along, but we see her coughing what appears to be blood into some kind of handkerchief or tissue and, um, you know, classic Spider-Man tropes like Aunt May being ill, but coughing blood is like a whole other matter and, um, has kind of sparked a number of, uh, of, uh, I guess theories on the internet pertaining to what this is. I mean, I, I'm interested, although I do find it kind of like weirdly inserted into this comic. Uh, but you know, so be it. Um, thoughts about about this, Mark? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of these theories, and you know, oddly enough, some of these kind of stem forth from the recent issue of Spider-Man Deadpool, which is not. You know, typically the the, the Spider Man team up book is not where you would think. Certainly, in 2016, major um, storyline elements could be introduced. But you know, we we, we kind of had a, a confrontation between Spidey and Mef- and Mephisto, and Mephisto, you know, kind of owns up to some of the elements of 
one more day and, and, and Peter being eternally cursed and alone and all that. And I guess, you know, the, the theory is between, you know, kind of Mephisto throwing Peter's deal with him back in his face again. And then whatever is going on, maybe with the upcoming clone conspiracy storyline, I, I guess the overall overarching theme is that one more day might be unraveling. And, um, you know, if, and whereas there's always been this kind of speculation, like, oh, if one more day gets retconned, that means the marriage will be put back together. But I, I, I think if this is a true theory, this could be going in a much more darker direction, which is that if, if one more day is retconned and the deal is essentially undone, what, what will be undone is Aunt May being alive. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, suspicious timing, especially with Uncle Ben, you know, based on the cover, seemingly coming back, you know. Uh, right. Or but a clone of Uncle Ben. Yeah, I, I right, think we right. I, I think we can we can vouch for that at this point. But um, yeah, I, and, and like if, if, if that's the direction they want to go with retconning one more day, I'm into that. I, you know, I mean, we've we've had this conversation. I don't feel Peter needs to be married for Spider-Man to be an effective comic book series. Like, you know, like say what you will about how they annul the marriage, but it's you know, it's him being married doesn't make or break this series for me. Um, but you know, having all these events get like untwisted and then have him lose May could be interesting. Of course. May has been pretty ineffective, ineffectual character in this universe for a while now, right? Yeah, I agree. And, and, I, and I think that it's certainly, you know, there's a shame to that because, you know, especially after coming out of JMS's run where she was such a wonderful character. But I think there is an element to Aunt May and the marriage that is essential to Spider-Man stories, which is this ongoing responsibility and reminder of his uncle's death. And I think if you get rid of both the marriage and Aunt May, you're left in this kind of weird place for this kind of Peter Parker who's kind of all on his own, you know? I mean, he might have a supporting cast, but I, I don't know. And, and, and certainly modern – the, the past 10 years of Spider-Man comics, because it has been 10 years since One More Day just about – haven't really proved, you know, the need for Aunt May. But I think if you look at the best Spider-Man stories, she is really essential. So I would be curious about removing her and not replacing her with something else, which made me – my initial thought when I saw this, I didn't think of One More Day. I thought, oh, they're going to kill Aunt May off and replace her with Uncle Ben, you know, and, and – and take it in that direction as a weird flip-flop of Spider-Man's responsibilities. But, I mean, I mean, it's anybody's guess at this point. But the One More Day thing is certainly intriguing. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I, 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 I think it's – when I read the One More – you told me your theory about Uncle Ben and, you know, no disrespect, Dan, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not buying it. I don't see sure. how – I mean, that's not to say it won't be done, but I don't see how that works in a way where I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like, it, it, it would just take some very tortured um, 
logic for me to to get that to to get to that point and and that's not to say that we haven't gotten some tortured logic in amazing spider-man over the last year or two um but the the brand new day kind of reversal made sense especially you know like the coughing blood i mean you know it was you know remember the initial injury that put Aunt May on death's doorstep in, you know, in the lead up to one more day was a, a bullet wound that, you know, was in, it was in her chest, right? I mean, or, yeah. or stomach or, you know, so, I mean, for her to be coughing blood kind of echoes that injury, in my opinion. So there, there seems to be some, there's a through line there. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I guess my, my big question is why now, like what would trigger that? Like is... Would it be – is it like Peter's new proximity to Mary Jane that's causing Mephisto's spell to wear off? I, I don't know what it is, but – Well, know. well, I mean this could – and we know how Dan Slott loves to kind of reference his own stuff, the long game if you will. Um, you know, And also going back to what we were just saying earlier, so many characters know his identity now. And, 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 you know, that was, that thread was pulled, um, during Spider Island, you know, when he went on TV and, and, and the, um, Madam Webb kind of warned him that he was undoing the, the magic of, of the, you know, the, the blind spot, if you will, of his identity. Um, and then, of course, you had the superior arc and, and Otto. And Otto is coming back uh, in some shape or form, it would appear. Um, so it stands to reason that if that element of the deal is being undone, why wouldn't other elements of the deal be undone? Yeah, it's certainly interesting. Like, uh, I'm on board for that, too. Uh, I, I think- it's just... It's just interesting. It's 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 it, 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 there are interesting storytelling possibilities here if done right. Not saying it's automatically going to be a great story, but it's it, it it has peaked out of everything in this comic. It has it piqued my interest the most. Well, I like the idea that like Peter's deal with the devil could come undone to the point of screwing him even more because to me that seems like a real deal with the devil that like. Yeah, you were promised something, and uh, lo and behold, it—you know—you didn't really get your promise fulfilled in the way that you imagined you would. Well, it's quite Faustian, and that would be, you know, actually very appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> They're so, not supposed to work. <laughs> so, what did you think of this scene of uh, of Peter and Tony visiting Miles' parents? Uh, to me, it felt like this kind of like pointless meander uh of a scene i mean there wasn't much logical sense there i don't know why they would rush to tell miles parents or even like give them any kind of ammunition or for suspicion uh there was there were several scenes like this like any of the scenes where they were dealing with like uh you know red wing and stuff like that they just seemed like they were filling space to me um i don't know what i was meant to get out of them and it also seems to echo the scene between Iron Man and Peter Parker and Aunt May in the Civil War movie, right? I mean, am I, did did you did your mind go there? I mean, like it seems kind of 
a very similar setup. Like, oh, we're here under false pretenses to get some intel on your superheroed kid that you may or may not know is superpowered. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't think about that, but now that you're saying it, you're right. It is right on the money there. Yeah. So I, I, I you know, I don't know if that's just kind of servicing the people who saw the movie and were like, oh, look, it's like another iteration of that. But yeah, it, it, it felt like filler. There was a lot of filler, a lot of like exposition about different characters' powers and what they do. I mean, this was, this was a very exposition-heavy issue again. Well, it's like you're reading Dan Slott's homework, like, you know, yeah. like his research into the Wikipedia pages of, of these people. Um, the, uh, the ultimate guide to the Marvel Universe is told through the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh. Now, Dan, you had a you had an interesting kind of sidebar thing that you brought up in your review, and I kind of want to give you the the um, the soapbox to stand on here for a second. Why don't why don't why don't you get into that? Well, you know, our show, I would say, we very rarely dabble into politics unless we're talking about Donald the Inner Demon, right? Um, but uh, you know this. We, I, this issue came out, you know, just days after the Orlando shooting um, where, you know, like 49 people died. And uh, there was kind of a, a quick rush to – and perhaps not quick enough in my opinion – rush to uh, to discuss gun control. And uh, anybody that follows Dan Slott on Twitter uh, knows that he – that's one of his kind of like pet um, – uh, I guess missions uh, issues, or, yeah. issues, yeah. Um, and you know, go Dan Slot. You know, like use your Twitter for however you want to use it, especially to champion things you believe in. Um, mm-hmm. But I couldn't help but thinking about that when reading through this issue. And I know that this issue was written probably months prior to to this. Although months prior to this, there was probably another mass shooting. Uh, and. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't help but think, you know, about the way that Dan Slott has written uh, this story regarding um, the public use of superpowers, especially in the previous issue, where you know he, he, the, the script takes time out of you know out of the story to show kids and puppies like potentially getting caught up in the uh, I guess damage of a of a superpower brawl. And I couldn't help but, like, you know, Civil War, we discussed a couple weeks ago, was often, um, I guess, thought of as a kind of like the registration thing as a kind of a gun control metaphor. And, I, and registration is, is, you know, quick on the lips of Regent in these issues. So I couldn't help but think about gun control again regarding this issue and that the powers of Spider-Man and Iron Man are kind of the weapons, the guns, if you – uh, so to speak, and um, and Regent is the guy that's trying to round up all of these weapons, and, you know, and, and say that he has a better way uh, of utilizing them um, from people who are irresponsible with them. And I couldn't help but think that that's kind of very similar to the argument that you know someone like Dan Slott is making on Twitter. But weird to see that that his stance, I guess, in some way is like tangentially connected to the villain. Uh, of this story. Um, and I just thought it was interesting, um, you know, to see kind of like in a loose way, the, the ideologies of a writer 
perhaps not being reflected in the heroes of his story. Do you think there's anything there, Mark? Am I am I grasping at loose straws here? I don't know if you're grasping at loose straws, but I mean, you're also just hitting upon some themes that I think are prevalent in a lot of stories. And, 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 and I mean, the currency of what happened in Orlando might just kind of be driving you to 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 go there right now. Um, that's not to say and I mean, and using I, I, I guess the interesting thing is using the villain as kind of the 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 vessel for that. But um you know, I, I, I think this idea of power and responsibility and who's using it and, you know, how we have these villains, especially in Spider-Man's universe, who think, you know, there are those that kind of take glee in the fact that they're using their powers irresponsibly. Uh, but then there are others like the Doc Ox of the world and, and even Green Goblin that feel that it's kind of like their birthright to be doing what they're doing um, with their powers and and that's kind of a theme that just feels at home in Spider-Man for, for obvious reasons in terms of um, power and responsibility. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess the short answer is, is, you know, I, 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 I like what you're, what you're saying. I just don't know if I totally see the through line to the extent that you do here. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the Marvel universe or superheroes in general are a perfect, you know, analogy for the real world. I mean, like, I don't think we live in a world where, like, good guys stop bad guys. Or, I mean, not to get too into this, but good go- go- good people with guns stop bad people with guns. It's just kind right. of the same. There's a reason it's a fantasy that we indulge in and, and not how we live our, our real lives, in my opinion. Um, right. But it is, uh, it is interesting, you know... Uh, uh, you know, there's this whole idea about the fascism of superheroes and that they're above the laws because they are imbued with special powers. And I've always thinking back on Civil War, I, I've kind of always found sense in what Iron Man was uh, pushing in that original comic, um, perhaps not to the extent that he goes with locking people up into, you know, another dimension of reality. But um yeah, I mean, it's something I've always wrestled with in terms of superhero comics, and and some handle it better than all others. Not not to go too far on this, but like I always liked that in Ultimate Spider-Man, all of the villains were kind of forced upon him, and any time that Peter was proactive in that series, he kind of got his butt handed to him because he was not the appropriate person to be dealing with it, and mm-hmm. uh, and I found that really an interesting kind of like salve to this. Okay. Well, food for thought. Um, anything else from this issue you want to ch- chat about? Well, we haven't talked about the art at all, and I, and I think it, you know that's kind of par for the course because it's it's so similar. Non descript. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just this. It's very. It's good. It's g- good, not great. You know, uh, I thought last issue was a prettier issue. There's a lot more like effects done to the to the work that moon and things like that, but. Uh, I mean, it's a perfectly serviceable issue here. Um, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing, you know, outlandishly good or bad about it. I'm, I am going to be intrigued to see if if the cover is not uh, another false advertisement, like we got a couple of covers ago with the Avengers not being in the comic. But if Mary Jane is indeed going to be playing the role of Iron Spider, I'm going to be very curious to see what Camo's art looks like in those scenes. Cause that could, that could go 
either really well or really not. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I'm kind of looking at this issue as like a, uh, a calm before the, the potential storm, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for me, this issue, uh, like there was two big things that camo had to do and I don't think he really did either of them. And both of them, you know, are related to Regent. Like, I don't feel like the art conveyed that Regent was powerful enough to take down Thor. And I think like really strong, like visual could have helped sell that. And the same is true of the Iron Man, Spider-Man versus Regent fight. Like it was hugely unmemorable enough that you and I didn't even discuss it because it's just like, okay, that happened. And, uh, yeah. But again, going back going back to the scene we liked earlier between Harry and Regent, I thought that, and you know, a lot of this was probably also the coloring, but there was there was nice tension to how that was laid out and, and framed, right? Yeah, I, I yeah I agree with that. There was some, you know the the metering of of the size of the image from close up to wide shot. You know, I, yeah, it was a it was very cinematic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, a mixed bag. There you go. All right, you want to go with grades? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in, in the spirit of mixed bags, I'm giving this one a flat C. It's average. All right, well, I, I like I said, I still had some very big issues going back to Regent as this powerhouse, the way he was just kind of being dropped into the Marvel Universe. So um, I did like the Aunt May stuff. The Harry scene was good. Um, but um, I'm going to give this a D because I think the other stuff dragged it down too much to overcome the bright spots. And like most Dan Slott writing, particularly Spider-Verse, like if this thing doesn't pay off, I'm going to retroactively be less happy because like if Regent gets taken down by maxing out his power level, like I'm sorry. That is about as lame as it gets. Wah, wah. <laughs> I got the power. <laughs> sorry. I thought that was. Oh, I think I blew out Dan's earbuds. <laughs> <laughs> Mark is really getting in, into his song choice for this episode. Uh, anyway, I'm going to stop of, you there, Mark. Speaking of um, CNC Music Factory, let's see what comments and emails we got. Your transitions are are worse than mine have ever been. <laughs> let's just let's acknowledge that. I, I actually thought that was pretty slick. But. <laughs> so comments, emails, email us at amazing spider talk at gmail.com with your questions your comments your uh recipes we haven't gotten any recipes in a while dan no um, we haven't that is a true statement I don't think we, actually i don't think we've ever gotten a recipe but you know or just talk about food because i like to talk about food on this podcast sometimes <laughs> um you can you can tweet at us on twitter with the hashtag okay to print you can leave us a voicemail at nine red goblin and then of course we want your ratings and reviews on our iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play um, uh, feeds. So, you know, log into those accounts, download our episodes, subscribe to our episodes so you get those episodes in your inbox every Friday morning like like the rest of us civilized society does. 
And uh, and then uh, let us know what you think. Give us some stars. And uh, if you give us a low enough grade, we'll complain about you for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> How civilized of us, Mark. Very civilized. So uh, who was our first comment on iTunes from, Dan? Well, our first and only comment comes from... You know, someone that I'd like to have on my team is Charles Zombie Smasher. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the title of it is Much Enjoyed, 5 out of 5. So I know who I'm going to at the end of the of civil, civilization when yeah, we're, he, he, we're plucked from our civility. He's going to be your Daryl Dixon? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, But the smashing, you know, implies, you know, not like a crossbow or anything. Like, this guy is straight up smashing dudes. All right, all right. So anyway, what does he say? Yeah. yeah, it says uh, always fun to listen to. These guys are nerds to the fullest extent. Mark, have, yeah, I think I think we own that. Uh, and yeah. it, and he says, and it's perfect because nobody else should have a spot podcast about Spider Man. Well, I don't know what to say about that. I don't want to. I don't want to preach exclusivity to the podcast of Spider Man, but Every- you know. Everybody should have a podcast about Spider-Man. I mean, we can't we can't say that we should be the only people to have a podcast about Spider-Man because we have a brother podcast about Spider-Man. This is true. Are we? It's a brother podcast now. It is Do a we... brother podcast, Mark. I've been corrected. Okay. okay, that's that's fair. Well, you know, but but I, I I will you know just as we own the title of nerds, I will own the title of being the best podcast about spider-man and uh you know that that's been verified by the dot com oh that uh, one so, uh, uh, so look that up where uh, can we find it well i told you it's at www.com and it says it right and clean as day this is the best spider-man it's not an opinion this is like verified it's factual they got an algorithm um it's intense Great. That's really great. So if, if I want spider news, can I go to this site or should I just hang on around this podcast? Just hang around the podcast. I don't, I don't want, I, I, I've already given com enough of a plug. I don't want to give another one. Okay. Well, I'll put their web address in our show notes. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. All right, Dan. Well, since you led me in, why don't we, instead of talking about this great website that I mentioned, why don't we actually talk about some spider news? No, I want to kill this joke more. (laughs) The joke is dead, all right? Let it go. Dead no more. (laughs) It's a conspiracy of clones. Speaking of which, that's one of our pieces of news. But, Dan, why don't you lead us off with um, some video game stuff? Because, you know, I don't play those kids' things. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for uh, belittling me as an adult man that plays video games. I'm really not belittling you. I'm actually just kind of relishing. Not I should say relishing. I'm just kind of showing off the fact that for whatever reason, I'm I'm not too childish to read comics and spend lots of money and talk about them nonstop. But video games, I draw the line there, especially well, you, if they're not like 8-bit classics like The Legend of Zelda or Super Mario, okay? Well, we did get a new Legend of Zelda this week, which looks like it owes a lot back to the 8-bit classic Zelda. But um, 
even more exciting than that, and Mark, you might have to buy a PlayStation 4 for this, is the new Spider-Man game from the Insomniac developers that's exclusively for the PS4, and we got a trailer of it, and uh, you can see that on superiorspidertalk.com, and there are all kinds of hidden details and Easter eggs in that trailer that I found, and uh, Insomniac, the developers, we were the first site that they uh, retweeted uh, for having found all these details, so that was really exciting for me, but um, man, this game looks great. Mark, did you get a chance to watch the trailer? No, because I don't play video games. <laughs> really, you didn't watch it? I didn't. I should. I'm oh, sorry. Oh <laughs> man, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna change your tune. You're gonna want to go out and buy a PlayStation Four because this thing looks awesome. We got Mister Negative and his inner demons, including Donald in the trailer Ooh, as the villain. Nice. Uh, Feast made an appearance uh, in the trailer. Uh, oh my! That, that would be Aunt May's uh, uh, and and Martin Lee's home to care for the homeless. Uh, right. And uh, all kinds of like you know, uh, Norman Osborn is the mayor of New York City in this game, but mostly it just looks like a triple A production of a Spider-Man game, which we haven't gotten in quite some time. I mean, say what you will about the Beanox games, but I think Spider uh, Shattered Dimensions was great, and it's kind of been downhill from there. Um, and Insomniac is a great developer. Uh, they do all the Ratchet and Clank games and uh, a bunch of other stuff that's really wonderful. So I couldn't be more excited about this. I thought the trailer looked great. Um, we got a new Spider-Man costume in this game that seems to be kind of paying homage to the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming movie. But there's a big white Venom spider mm. on the chest over top of the red and blues, which is Kind of interesting that I've never seen before. I think a lot of people were kind of taken aback by it, but um, the trailer is so great you easily overlook that. And uh, I don't know about you, Mark. I mean, I know you don't seem that excited, but I'm tremendously excited about this. And if I didn't own a PlayStation 4, I'd probably buy one just to play this uh, thing. So, Yay, something new for me to fight with my five-year-old over. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that seems like a good reason to fight with your five-year-old. He he recently discovered that we still have a Wii from like you know back back in the aughts, and uh, so like Saturday mornings has become like him just like wanting to play the Wii, but not really wanting to play against me, like just me letting him win, which I'm fine with. But then like I guess I don't let him win enough. I don't know. <laughs> You're um, just crushing him and Wii bowling. No, no, I'm like, I'm not. I'm just like, he, like, he just like, he says, oh, daddy, we'll play. And then he's like, but I'm just going to play for both of us. So uh, he doesn't even like let me play him. So you're like a supervisor more than anything. Yeah, yeah. But I have to physically be in the room when he does it or else I get yelled at by him. Well, you so. probably should because he's liable to throw one of those remotes through your TV. That's true too. But like, and this is, this, the, the whole like, we'll play with each other, but not actually is especially true for Mario Kart. Like, he basically, like, wants me to race him, but then it's just like, oh, you stop racing, Daddy. I'm just going to do it. Like, oh, okay. So <laughs> I'm watching you drive in circles around, like, like not around the, the track in circles, but just, you know, doing, like, you know, figure eights on the on the course. And uh, and I'm doing nothing. But you're getting Anymore all the both. blue shells. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that game works. You yeah. could literally do anyway. nothing and come in first. This is true. Um, well, in, into a medium that's a little more up my speed, we got some uh, hella details about 
this big event that we've been building towards for the better part of a year. The it's it's we it's not dead no more, Dan. What are we calling this thing? The clone conspiracy. The clone conspiracy starring none other than Kid Miracle Man. No, no. <laughs> that was the worst theory ever. Whoever came up with that is out of his mind. No, it's 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 surprise, it's Miles Warren in a new hat. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Kid Mir- Miracle Man. <laughs> we'll make it happen. No. Um Yeah, so as you predicted, Dan, and as I kind of like Knew was going to be the case, but was like hoping against hope it would be something fresh and exciting. No, no. We're going to get another Jackal-inspired clone series. This, I guess, will be Clone Saga Part Tree. I'm hoping that instead instead of a a hashtag Spider Island, we get hashtag Kid Miracle Man on the cover of all these books. (laughs) That would make me appropriately happy. But, yeah, you know, uh, I got this email from Marvel with this kind of like stitched together – like video of all these images from the comics that said like a conspiracy revealed this week. And I sent it to you and Zeke, our news guy, who was also a friend of the show. And both of you guys cynically responded like, oh, it's just some dumb you know, thing. And then it turned out that we were going to get the whole kit and caboodle that week of a new title and the reveal that the Jackal is the man in red. Um, I guess you could still be cynical about it, but this is a weird way to launch an event to kind of be using all of your time to sell an alternate title to the event. I guess they really thought that the idea that clones were involved was going to be shocking to some people, despite that being every single person's first guess regarding what was going on here. Well, you know, because like we're really reanimating the dead here. Well, it's comic books. Who am I kidding? Um, yeah, I mean, like I look, this is coming from someone who spent an entire year reblogging the nineties clone saga and, and with, with, with the conclusion that it's, it's fairly poorly written, but it's not as bad as people make it out to be. There are, there are, it's, it's the, it's worst part is that it goes on for way too long. Not that it's necessarily a bad story. If that makes sense, right, Dan? I mean, yeah, yeah. There, there are worse periods of Spider-Man. <coughs> Sorry, I, I was coughing. I got okay. Suddenly sick there. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, is this going to be the return of Kane that was teased at the end of Spider-Verse? Is this going to be the return of Ben Riley and Uncle Ben? Ben Riley, the clone of Gwen. Was it Joyce Delaney or something? Or uh... <laughs> It seems as long as you have a corpse, you're going to be coming back. Uh... Now, my question is, and, and I'm legitimately just asking this, of, of all the – because you, know, you mentioned that the, there's like a new, I guess, mini-series that's going to be related to this. Is Jerry Conway attached to any of these books? I, I don't think so. Um, actually, I thought the most interesting thing about this was that Dan Slott is going to be leaving the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, and this clone conspiracy is going to be a separate miniseries running alongside Amazing Spider-Man where Christos Gage is going to be taking over the main writing duties. Well, is that – are we sure we're understanding that right? It's not just going to be the usual slot 
slot plotted, gauge scripted things? No, as far as I'm aware, slot is fully devoting his time to this mini series that's outside of ASM numbering, and gauge is going to be bat on the main book. Now, I don't know if if you're right, like it is slot plotting, gauge scripting, but um, they definitely went out of their way to say it was something unusual in the press release for this. Yeah. So I wonder if. You know, maybe we'll get six or so issues of Gage doing his thing. No, I mean, the reason why I mentioned Jerry Conway, I mean, he, of course, is the creator of the Jackal and the creator of the original 70s clone saga, which is, you know, was a good story in large part because it was tightly plotted. (laughs) It It only lasted about five or six issues, which is, I mean, what seems like this is going to be about this is going to be a couple of months long this is not going to be a, a two-year-long event this clone conspiracy right yeah no it's it's i think it's just six issues and and then we have an annual which uh the cover was revealed this beautiful annual cover um uh, of spider-man alex ross's spider-man standing over a grave with some kind of weird angel on the top of it uh, i thought it was a pretty haunting image um and it it definitely made me think about asm 400 and the death of aunt may which you know tying back into this issue's review that whole thing right so uh i wonder was it a die cut a die cut tombstone no thankfully it's not but uh that tombstone looms large over the cover so uh it definitely made me think of that cool well Lots to be seen with that. We'll 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 keep everyone updated as more info comes along. Um, in movie news, Dan, we got some uh, more castings for Homecoming. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, it seems that this cast will never stop growing. And actually, two days ago was the first uh, principal photography uh, of. Uh, First day of principal photography on the movie, and we have some photos from that day on, on our uh, site, so you should go and check them out there. There's a great photo of Peter in a, in a Midtown High sweater, but the established date uh, for Midtown High on the sweater is 1962. So a fun little callback there to, to the origin of the comic. But, um, you know, this cast just gets bigger by the day. I literally started joking with Zeke uh, about it because – he was supposed to write an article about this, and every day there were new people. So I, I think we're going to create a whole new site just devoted to covering who's in this movie because even the smallest characters are getting big cast members. But the most interesting one, I think, is that Donald Glover is going to be appearing in this movie. And uh, I guess fans of Donald Glover will know that for years he has been like you know campaigning to be Peter Parker, and then he wasn't, and – but now maybe there'll be a meta joke in this movie of Donald Glover appearing as, you know, some kind of, I don't know, joke or, or something. Um, right. Well, of course, we've had we, we had Abed from Community and Captain America Winter Soldier, um, if you remember, right? Yeah. Well, uh, no, he was in Civil – was he in Winter Soldier? Yeah. He was in the S.H.I.E.L.D. control room when, you know, the oh, helicarriers yeah. are – um, well, also, I, also in that movie, when uh, when uh, Captain America and uh, Black Widow go to the Mac store, um, DC Pearson, the actor with the beard, uh, confronts them. And uh, you know, fans of Donald Glover will know that he and DC Pearson had a comedy group when they were at NYU together uh, called Derek Comedy, 
that they did and, and put them both on the map. So it seems like it was only inevitable that you know associates of, of Donald Glover and Donald Glover himself made it their way into these movies. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to see if you know Dan Harmon pops into uh, any of these <laughs> movies. <laughs> That, that would be the next step. He's probably in there somewhere, just hidden away. Yeah, he's probably in there. Um, he's a dark elf in Thor 2. And then just the last bit of news, um, people checking out solicitations. For, for which month was it, Dan? Is it is it um, September? September. I, I can't keep up with how far out they solicit these comics anymore. I'm terrible. I'm so old. I can't keep up anymore. Anyway... Web Warriors, we kind of saw this coming. Last issue was solicited. So um, all you crazy collectors, get your Web Warriors now before they're gone. Yeah, issue 11 will be the end. And, like, I think you could tell it was coming based on the letters column in that book where, like, every issue they're like, make sure you tell your friends to pick up this comic. And, uh, you know, we have a a sales breakdown uh, uh, article on our site that's done by our, our contributor, Kane. And uh, Web Warriors wasn't selling, you know, it was selling around 20000 a, a month, which is not that much lower than many of the other titles in the Spider line. But my guess is that this is the least essential title. It's just kind of basically a team book that has very little impact on anything else. But I, I'm surprised at this thing because I thought it was a good comic, certainly better than like twenty ninety nine, uh, which right. seems to keep on ticking. Or Spidey. Yeah, or Spidey, yeah, which I don't even think is selling much higher than 20000 itself. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. It wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it certainly um, seemed expendable. And, and you know, I, I, you know, not that I want to see comic creators not get regular work, but, and, and we'll probably also touch on this in some of the micro-reviews coming up, but I think it would behoove Marvel and the Spider-Office to kind of, tighten the load a little bit you know i think it's a little little too diluted right now but that's maybe I, that's just cranky old me talking again yeah and give dave baldion a big title to draw for yeah i thought his art in that book is just stunning yeah all right dan well why don't we get to the next tryout for flash thompson's flash reviews So, Dan, are your ears still bleeding from last time's Flash Reviews tryout? Oh, give me a home where the buffaloes roam. You know, Mark, I can't get that ditty out of my head. It's just so catchy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Well, I can promise our listeners that this week's guest is far less musical and far less of a reanimated Nazi skeleton made out of bees like our last two tryouts. That's very specific. Yeah, very specific. Yeah, it's specific and disappointing. Um, actually, Dan, if I'm being completely honest here, I was uh, originally struggling to find an appropriate tryout. Um, 
you know, we were joking earlier about Mackie Byrne characters, whatever. But, you know, I've been scraping the bottom of the barrel here. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how much lower I could go. Um, but <laughs> given the recent news that the Spider-Verse is going to be getting a third clone saga, courtesy of Dan Slott and, and of course, the Jackal, uh, I think it made the selection of my next, guest, my next guest all the more sensible. So, direct from some lab where he was probably cloned, because I think the last time we saw him, he was dead in a ditch somewhere. Sewer Trainer! <laughs> yes, hi. That's um, <clears throat> Dr. Trainer to you. <clears throat> Sorry, Dr. Trainer. Uh, well, we're happy to have you here since the last we saw of you, you were made expendable by Norman Osborne. I think you were flattened by a robot or something like that. So what, uh, what brings you to the Flash Reviews tryout? Hmm. Well, as you know, I am an esteemed man of science. Because of that, I still feel I have a lot of making up to do for essentially causing the whole second clone saga in the 90s. In telling Peter, of course, that he was a clone from Ben Riley and crazy. Well, uh, don't clone yourself and then beat yourself up about it. Ah, 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 ah. You get it? Ah, ah, ah. No, 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 no. I needed to make right on my wrong. That's why I come bearing uh, some very critical information for you, Dan. You see, Mark here recently sent me a tissue sample of yours to study. Wait, what? A, a tissue sample? What kind? I, I, I mean, I'm looking at myself. I, I look fine. It's, it's true, Dan. It's true. And trust me, considering how you shave your head, that was harder to get than you think. Did you help him get this tissue sample? Yeah, yes. I was able to extract some of your DNA from a copy of some old comic book. Something called Ends of the Earth One Shot. I knew I would find your DNA because you're the only person on the planet who cared about owning a copy of the Ivan. I do remember, Mark, that you seem to care very much about me owning this comic as well. Um, I, I, I can't speak for the doctor here, Dan. Um, sorry. You're on your own here. <clears throat> Can I continue, please? <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. So, uh, what I found in your sample is that, Dan, you are, in fact, a clone. Yes, it's true. I know this information is probably hard for you to accept, so I will now disappear from the podcast forever while you process what just happened to your life. <laughs> well, I guess I'm doomed to walk the country for the next 30 years until I suddenly reappear. Yes, or, you know, uh, until sales of the podcast go down and we need to get you back, Dan. That sounds fair. Um, so, Dr. Trader, everybody, um, sounds suspiciously like a really awful Professor Frick imitation from The Simpsons. I, I did not pick up on that at all. Oh, okay. Well, like I said, it was a bad imitation. So uh, That, that um, could have been it. That could have been yeah. it. Not what I expected from Dr. Trainer, um, but... You know, he he brought his A game. When I reread those comics, it's going to be in a completely different light. <laughs> it's a comical one. Well, I think he's a creation of the legendary Tom DeFalco. We'll have to ask him what he thought he sounded like, and if that meshed up with what he actually sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that was him, Dan. That's like, what that's I'm what saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Anywho. 
Um, Flash Thompson Flash Reviews or whatever it will be named at a future time upon whoever wins the contest. I mean, with all these really great candidates, Dan, I don't know how people are going to choose. I'm still, uh, I'm still voting for Swarm. He was the nicest of all of them, even though he's a reanimated Nazi skeleton covered in bees. Well, he he did threaten to like kill all the voters if they didn't vote for him. So, I mean, just keep that in mind. He was very s- sweet about it, but um, still promised to murder you. Sweet as honey. Sweet as honey. That murders your face. Um, these are short reviews, a minute or less. And considering we got about nine hundred of these, they might even some might even be much shorter than a minute. Um, but uh, why don't why don't we kick it off with Spider Man Deadpool number five? I think that's where we left off last time. Yikes! Uh, yeah, I know that's about what a two month old comic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Let me count you in in three, two, one. Yeah, so uh, sorry for the delay with this one, folks. Anyway, this series is definitely going places I didn't expect, and if the rumors are to believe, this might actually contain uh, some important bits for Spider-Man's biography, uh, like his deal with Mephisto from a few years back. Regardless, uh, the overall weirdness and incoherentness of this comic oscillated between wildly entertaining and off-putting for me. Um, But you know what? I want to give credit to this comic for rising above the usual team-up, generic kind of slop stuff that we had been getting with, like, Avenging Spider-Man and Superior Team-Up and all that. Uh, it's actually going to pretty unique places. It seems to be kind of a, 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 a head above your usual team-up. I'm going to say, Eureka! Which is good. Dan, how about you in three, two, one? Yeah, Mark, uh, I agree with you. There is something special about this comic to the point that I almost wouldn't mind if this was just like an arc of ASM in general. Because um, I feel like every other issue of this comic has been a knockout winner for me. Um, but this isn't that kind of issue. Don't get me wrong. I love all the content here, especially the first true revisit to Mephisto the books have seen since One More Day. But I think Joe Kelly can sometimes get a little ahead of himself in his writing and lose the audience in parts. Uh, it could just be me, but there were a large number of times in this issue where I just couldn't understand the transition from one frame to the next and really struggled with the read. Well, whatever I understood, I loved, though, uh, but I haven't struggled just reading a comic in this series this much ever. So there's a lot of great here, but I'm calling this one Spider-Side, which is bad. Yeah, Spider-Side is always bad. But not quite as bad as Spider-Side 2.0, which we were teased several years ago and never came to fruition. (laughs) Well, Dan, there's a whole arc with the Jackal coming up, so don't say never. (laughs) Um, Next up, speaking of really old comics, Spider-Woman Omega. That's the last part of the uh, Spider-Woman crossover. Yeah. All right, so, Mark, uh, I'll count you in on this one because people have been waiting to find out whether or not to buy this issue. Uh, <laughs> oh, stop. In three, two, one. I haven't been as consistently high in this event as Dan has, but ultimately I will say this was a well-crafted conclusion that put the worlds of Silk Gwen and, to a lesser extent, Jessica Drew in a more interesting direction than where it started. I still don't know if we needed to put all three series on hold until we got uh, there when this really felt like a glorified Silk tale that branched out into these other books. But, hey, that's just the way it is. Why am I complaining about it and challenging it? 
Years from now, I don't think this is going to be considered an all-time great, but it's certainly a better than a lot of other Spidey and non-Spidey crossovers in recent years. So that's about as backhanded a way for me to say, Eureka! I really resent you, uh, you know, making it sound like the delays on our uh, B titles are screwing up people's purchasing habits. Is that what this is? Is it, are we are we just a commercial for comics, Dan? Well, they really trust our reviews, you know. Uh, though to be honest, I, I have gotten several emails from people saying that they took our advice on Spider Woman and gave it a shot, and they loved it, and they're thanking us for uh, for recommending it. So. People do listen to this. At least I hope they listen to this, and and it advises them in some way. Fair enough. Well, anyway, why don't you give us your read in three, two, one? I'm going to do my best to keep this short, which means it's going to go long, because I've been consistently loving this series since it started, and our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, has been doing a great coverage of this event. So yes, Mark, I've been consistently happy with this event for one major reason, and that reason is character in all capital letters. That's been the essential key to this book's successes, and that this issue is a major fight. With the support of several issues of wonderful character writing means that every punch, joke, and near miss lands in a huge way. When Silk showed up in the super adaptoid armor, which is something I never thought I would say, I, like, I no joke, punched the sky and cheered. It was so exciting to me. Uh, this is how crossovers should be done, and I hope people pick up more of these individual titles as a result. So uh, I'm saying as well, Eureka! There you go, Dan. That was really short. That was like almost the entire minute. Yeah, I know. I totally failed on that. All right. Spider-Woman number eight. Count me in. All right. Spider-Woman, our, our monthly favorite, uh, starts for you in three, two, one. All right. So I'm going to keep this short, like really short, not Dan short. Actually short. <laughs> Yeah, watch. Spider-Woman continues to be the best Spider-Book out there, and anyone who is not reading this, who likes character-centric stories that go beyond just superpower people punching each other and telling bad jokes, should read this. Also, yay, Javier Rodriguez, your art amazes me. Eureka! Now that is short, Dan. Yeah, you're right. You can't get that kind of insight everywhere, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Let's see how much more insightful I'll be. All right, three, two, one. Wow, just wow. If I could hand out Eisner's, I know which comic I'd be giving it to this year. I just can't think of a more beautifully crafted comic that I've read this year that still fills me with as much joy as this book does. A special mention should be the scene with Roger wandering through the battle between Jess and a giant octopus, signifying how her mind is in two places at once when she's doing her superheroics. I finished this comic, Mark, and I immediately reread it again two more times, despite having a whole stack of other comics to read. Go by this book you listener listening to us right now you've listened this far into the podcast which means okay maybe you listen to our advice now take my advice and go buy this damn thing eureka well, you really are a shill man Woo! i know i'm gonna call you i'm gonna call you corporate dan you can call me stanley circa 1960s Go buy this comic and join the Merry Marvel Marching Society. (laughs) I got to balance out how much shilling I'm doing for our podcast with how much shilling I'm doing for Marvel. There you go. There you go. Okay. Well, speaking of like not shilling, because maybe this is more like laziness, we're going to combine 
Civil Wars issue one, two, and the Spider-Man Civil War two tie-in issue. Uh, why? Because all these came out and they're kind of related, and otherwise we'd have like nine individual reviews to do this week. So, um, so cheer three cheers for laziness. In the time that it took to explain our laziness, we could have reviewed all three of them separately. Yeah, but explaining laziness is more fun than talking about each one of these comics. That's true. All right. So <laughs> there's an over, I, have, I have an overarching opinion anyway, so let's go. All right, fine. I, we'll go. Commencing in three, two, one. All right, so ultimately my issue with this series and this premise goes directly to uh, my issue with this premise. We've dealt with heroes with power pre- precognition before, and Bendis' script still hasn't fully convinced me how Ulysses, the inhuman with the powers, is the tipping point in framing yet another hero versus hero slugfest, beyond the fact that Tony Stark is just going to be a uh, you-know-what again. Uh, in terms of Spider-Man and his role and his in the tie-in, I enjoyed the first issue of the tie-in series, but I also feel like it felt short. It fell short in terms of setting up any real stakes caused by uh, Ulysses' powers. Until you have Peter overreaching on his power and responsibilities due to one of Ulysses' visions, this is just another tie-in cash-grabbing book. Sorry, it's nicely written and the art's good too. But anyway, so let's get some stakes and can we just can we just fix this premise here and, and really establish what is so dire here? Spider-side, bad. Anywho, that was, that was brilliant. I'm going to count you in in three, two, one. I really wanted this book to be about Spider-Man rethinking his like thoughts about Uncle Ben and whether or not if he had Ulysses, he could have stopped that. And clearly that's not what's going to happen here. Um, I, I have to admit I'm more excited about Civil War II than most, mainly because I liked most of the early stuff this series has thrown at us. And I think the artwork has been top-notch across the board. Um, I bought into the conflict introduced in the first issue, but issue two did some really bizarre stuff with Iron Man that I felt was totally unearned. Um, I'm hoping there's more to this conflict than Tony flying off the handle at random and Ulysses having random visions just to change the conflict up at any drop of the hat. Uh, yeah, the ASM book was decent, Mark. I agree with you. Uh, I thought the second half was a lot of exposition, and I'm not really that interested in seeing another clash with Clash. So, uh, but at least I recognize the characters in the writing. So, I'm giving this a moderate Eureka. Moderate Eureka Glavin. Whoa! Hey, Stuart Trainer came back for a second there. <laughs> oh wait, no, 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 no. That was that was me imitating Professor Frick. Oh. Don't don't get it confused. Don't get it twisted, Dan. All right. Well, now now I'm just all discombobulated. All right. So speaking of discombobulated, let's talk about Spider-Man 2099, number 11, or just any issue of Spider-Man 2099 for that matter. So uh, I'll count you in in three, two, one. Yeah, Dan, I, I feel like I say this all the time when I uh, preface 2099 at the risk of being glib. 2099 has become a book that has completely fallen off my radar in terms of my interest level. My feeling is, oh, yeah, this book came out, I think, right? Anyway, I don't rush to read it when it's in my pull box. And in trying to assemble uh, after-the-fact opinions on it like I do for this podcast, I'm, I'm at a loss. 
I mean, Peter David and Will Sliney do a nice enough job with this comic, but, you know, we have an interesting alternative universe take with Nueva York in 2099 with a Sinister Six iteration. It's cool, whatever. But the bigger problem is this, this series just feels so superfluous. And as a reader, I just lost passion for it. And I think that's the bottom line. If I'm being unfair, please let me know. Uh, but I'd rather see Marvel put Peter David and Will Sliney's talents to better use than this. So I'm going to say spider side to the whole thing, to the whole thing. Wow, that's a bold proclamation there. I'm sorry. Like I said, I, I mean, extending my time here, if if there are re- listeners out there who are really passionate about 2099 and, and want to explain to me what I'm missing about this book, please let me know. But, like, to me, this this book should have ended at, at Secret War. Yeah. Um, but, Dan, I don't want to step on your time. So you can go in three, two, one. Well, you can step on my time all you want, Mark, because I'm right there with you. And I'm honestly shocked that it was Web Warriors that was canceled before this book. I'm not sure how much more it could wander. And listening to Peter David say in interviews that he has plans to wrap up all the various storylines that he's introduced seems more like wishful thinking than reality. And and honestly, it makes me think back to Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man when he wrote it and that alternate universe Uncle Ben that's still wandering around. The Marvel <laughs> Universe, uh, just n- nothing ever closed up. Um, it isn't that this book is bad, per se, just that it's long lo- lost course a long time ago. And I'm not sure I have the attention span to keep up with what it's trying to do. I just forget about it like you, Mark. So uh, here we go again, another spider side, a.k.a. bad. 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 So, so bad. Just don't read it, people. No. We're not a commercial anymore. <clears throat> excuse me. Spider Gwen number nine. Excuse me. Radioactive Spider Gwen number nine. Get it straight, Mark. Yeah. Count me in, dude. All right. Count you in in uno, dos, catorce? We you two now? Anyway, uh, for starters, welcome back, Robbie Rodriguez. Uh, Spider-Gwen number nine is totally in the comfort zone for the series, focusing on some stout storytelling and world building while also addressing a number of dangling threads from earlier issues. Gwen is at her most vulnerable here, and I love it. If this series is able to maintain this tone with consistency, I think this book is right up there with Spider-Woman in terms of the upper echelon of the Spider-Books. This is a short review, but really, I, I really enjoyed this wonderful book. Robbie's art was and with with Ren, Rico Renzi's uh, inks. Uh, excuse me, uh, colors were fantastic. Eureka for me, Dan. Three, two, one. Well, all Marvel artists should take note that this book is how you reinvent yourself and keep your work fresh. Robbie Rodriguez and Rico Renzi, like you said, Mark, they're back and their colors were more subdued when they needed to be. There were some broader inks, and uh, several of the characters were redesigned. And push them a step further into this kind of like amazing punk rock aesthetic that defines this radioactive series. Um, short of Spider-Gwen's first appearance, I actually think this might be the best script that Jason Latour has provided for the title. As he presents a challenge that I, I honestly think I've never seen a Spider character wrestle with before, which is like limited use, one-time use powers. Um, and I, I can't wait to see more where this goes. So um, I'm saying Eureka about this one. I like how your voice cracked there. Yeah, it was great. You know, in the theme of teenage superheroes uh, – there you go. It was intentional, Mark, is what I'm trying to say. You got it, pimple face Dan. 
It's so actually why why unfortunately true right now. Ah, uh, boo. Um, well, why don't, you, why don't you start the process of taking us home, Dan? Yes, well, homecoming is upon us. Uh, yeah. You can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts. And there's going to be a point where I stop saying old Superior Spider Talk podcasts because I think we're approaching 100 Amazing Spider Talk podcasts in like about 10 episodes where we can pretend that we're really reaching 100th uh, uh, episode again. Uh Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, you can find all of those on our website, superiorspidertalk.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please, our lovely listeners, please leave us a review. And speaking of 100, we're like four reviews away from 100, which I have said for about a year, but we're getting there, Mark. We are getting there. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Additionally, be sure to check out our brother from another mother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, like what I did there. Uh, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. Awesome. That's been a great podcast. They've been very frequent, and they had a great interview with uh, Jason Latour uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He gave them like two hours of their time, and that guy, you know, we had him on our show, but he's really kind of like laid back in this interview and really talks about the series. And uh I thought it was a wonderful interview if you haven't already checked that out. Was there a barking dog? There was no barking dog. So we can definitively state that that was Robbie's dog causing all that calamity. Good to know. Good to know. (laughs) Well, also, everybody, be sure to join our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club so you can hear Mark and I discuss and all kinds of other things in greater detail. Um, Next week, we're going to have an episode that's put together a couple of our members-only episodes to give you guys a taste of all the awesome things that we're doing on our Patreon page. Awesome. And then uh, coming up probably another week or two, Dan, we'll be discussing our next Essentials pick. Uh, It's your choice, Dan. So what are you going to make me read? I'm going to make you read Amazing Spider-Man numbers 226 and 227 by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. Do you know what those stories are off the top of your head, Mark? I, I believe – is that the Fool Killer? That is not the Fool Killer. All right. Well, I know it's in that zone. Oh, I know. That's the Black Cat stories, isn't it? Yeah, but the cat came back and going straight are, uh, are the Black Cat stories from there. And uh, to my mind, they're the most definitive Black Cat stories ever written. Uh, maybe not as good as the one where her mother – and Spider-Man meet in the hospital, but uh, certainly amongst the best. And unlike Kevin Smith's Black Cat miniseries, these comics actually came out like within months of each other, not like 12 years later. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think I've ever finished that story because I stopped buying it. I only own like the first three issues of it. Marvel Unlimited is your friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, helps, it, help, it helps get over Kevin Smith's inability to write a timely story. Everybody thinks, wow, Kevin Smith, what a great writer. Like, we're, these are really great. Not yeah. realizing that the dates on them are so spread out. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think between three and four is literally 18 months apart. But anyway, um, enough about Kevin Smith. Dan, where can we find you on social media? Because I know it's not on Kevin Smith's podcast. No, it's not. Although that would be a great tool to get the word out about our show. Uh, maybe we should retitle the show like "Fit Men on Spider Men." That doesn't have uh, that doesn't have like quite of a ring. 
Hey Dan, when I when I had my my taping for Comic Book Man, I tried to throw in Chasing Amazing and Spider Talk, and obviously the episode never made it to air. So that's why they cut it out, Mark. Probably. But I got my issue one out of it, so. There you go. Well, so you can find me on social media, specifically on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk or my personal account at Dan Gavostin. You can find all of my writing. Uh, I'm reviewing Amazing Spider-Man for a little while on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And you can read all my movie reviews at GrindMyReels.com. Yes, Dan. And you can, of course, find me at Chasing ASM Blog on Twitter. And you can find my writing at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And ha! I actually have writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I've had like three pieces up in the last couple of weeks. And as part of my top 10 Spider-Man versus non-Spider-Man villain series, which is leading to some interesting stories, most of them written by Roger Stern. Yeah, uh, well, I liked your uh, your writing about the fifth annual, so I guess annuals do count. Uh, yes. Well, at least that was definitely That was definitely one of my backhanded compliment listings where I was like, this comic's important, but I kind of don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you acknowledge that Spider-Man definitely kills a guy in that issue. He totally does. Like, I, 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 for whatever reason, I've always glossed over that in previous reads. And when I was rereading it for that, for, for writing this, I was like, holy crap. He like leads a guided missile into a car and it's just like, oh, and then it like tries to shake the guy down and then he dies. I'm like, <laughs> wow, he totally just kills that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even one of those things where it's like, oh, whoops, the guided missile went off track. It's like, no, I'm going to specifically guide this missile into this guy's car. And then he tries to shake him down. And he's like, oh, crap, he died before I could get this information out of him. Like, oh, my God. Like, who is this character? <laughs> anyway, so that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we find you anywhere else on the Internet? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> not, not after that. <laughs> no, I think I think I've, I think I've given up on the internet now. But no, yeah. So 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 look for that. I'm still reviewing Carnage. I'm reviewing the uh, Spider-Man Civil War two tie-in, um, and eventually I'll I'll be writing about ASM again. But Dan, you're you're doing a great job uh, while I'm busy with other stuff. So I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. Well, uh, you know, Mark, uh, I heard a rumor about your Uncle Ben. This time I know something about Uncle Ben, and I found out that he was a real quick learner, which is how he could get into all these bizarre skirmishes that he got into because he just – he could quickly learn about almost anything. He could watch someone, you know, like repair a truck and immediately replicate their abilities and fix a truck. He just – he had a really fast mind, and uh, and that's what made him, again, such a multifaceted, multi-talented guy. Um, did he ever pass any of these quick learning abilities on to you? Well, you know, as a matter of fact, Dan, um, he did. I mean, you know, like I have this uncanny ability to adapt – any one of my co-host lead-ins into an absurd story about my fictitious Uncle Ben being killed in a horrible way. For example, um, a couple of weeks ago, Uncle Ben and I uh, were... Oh, crap. <laughs> Looks like this ability might be failing you right now. 
Oh no 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 no. So uh, so Uncle Ben and I, um, you know, this this might sound weird since it's like almost July, but we were um, recycling our Christmas tree. He just loves to keep the Christmas tree up all year round. When it gets like all dry and brittle, he like he takes off all the needles. It's just like a it looks like a skeleton. It's terrible. I'm like, what, Uncle Ben? We got to take this thing to the park, get it recycled. Um, you know, like, why it's are you wasting my time? It's a tremendous fire hazard. Well, you know, it's a tremendous fire hazard, and it's just, it's just, let's be honest, it's really silly that he has this tree up. So we went to the park, and, you know, the park ranger is there with, um, the, the wood chipper and stuff. And of course, we're just like, we're here to recycle our Christmas tree. And he's just like, I, we, we're not even doing Christmas tree recycling right now. And it's like, just deal with it, deal with it, come on. And, you know, we're getting ready to put the tree in the chipper. And then a monkey, a shark, and a loaded truck full of beer show up. And, and Jimmy the Elbow. And Jimmy the Elbow. And uh, the mob ties. Don't forget about the mob ties. They all show up. They circle Uncle Ben. And they're like, we can all have a hack at you or we'll throw you in the wood chipper. And Uncle Ben looked around and I was like, you're on your own, Uncle Ben. And... Before he was brutally murdered by one of those things, he said, with great podcasts must also come Amazing Spider Talk. And then he was thrown in the wood chipper. Who did it? Ronnie the Eyebrow.